Ozark Highlands Radio is brought to you by the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas. A wonderful way to enjoy yesterday. On the web at OzarkFolkCenter.com. And by Stone Bank, a community bank supporting entrepreneurs and farmers nationwide with loans guaranteed by the USDA, SBA, and Farm Services Agency. Learn more at StoneBank.com. And the Arkansas Arts Council, empowering the arts for the benefit of all Arkansans. On the web at ArkansasArts.org. <laughs> Howdy, folks. This is Dave Smith, host of Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome to our show. We have a very special show for you this week as we celebrate the life of the original Keeper of the Vault, Mark Jones, featuring Mark's fine banjo playing and some great stories about Mark from his old friend, country superstar Marty Stewart. And historian Charlie Sandage will continue his look at the Buffalo National River. That's this week on Ozark Highlands Radio. If you're a regular or even occasional listener to this show, you're aware of my weekly visits down to the vault to visit my friend and collaborator, Mark Jones. We here at Ozark Highlands Radio were terribly shocked when Mark passed away in August of 2021, a victim, like so many others that summer, of COVID-19. Mark was a very interesting fellow, a fine banjo player, composer, educator, audio engineer, and a gentle soul with a great sense of humor. We'll start this show with some performances of Mark and his good friend Marty Stewart, recorded at the Ozark Folk Center back in 1980, and some reminiscences by Marty. We like to have guests, and we have a guest tonight who's spending three or four days with Mark Jones out in the country and started picking at the age of 13 in Lester Flats Band. Then he picked with Doc Watson. He now is a member of the Johnny Cash Band, a fine guitar picker from Nashville, Tennessee. Make welcome Marty Stewart. Marty? And Mr. Mark Jones. Yeah, don't forget to introduce Mark. He's the mayor of this town. I'll own it before it's over with. <laughs> nah. Uh, why don't we take off with a good old banjo tune? Scene tune. All right.
Strangely enough, this very weekend, 45 years ago, was when I went up to Nashville from Mississippi to ride on the road, supposedly for the weekend, to go on tour with Lester Flatt. So it's 45 years ago, and it wasn't the two or three weekends after I had gone up there that I ran into Mark A. Jones, and we became instant friends. Because, like I said, we were the, he was the first person my age that I related to, and we've been friends ever since. But what what Mark had kind of a bird's eye view on is that Grandpa and Ramona attracted everybody, loved them, first of all, but they attracted a completely different set of characters than your usual music row suspects. And I'm pe- talking about people like Merle Travis and String Bean and, the, you know, the rootsier, folkier people. They were Americana before anybody had, had ever thought of the word, you know, being a broad term. But they Ramona staged uh, get-togethers out at their house. And, boy, I tell you what, it was the A-list party to be a part of. If it was That, that was the social event of the season as far as I was concerned. But Mark grew up in the middle of all of those stories, all of those songs, all of those, you know, old tales from the old world of show business as well as the contemporary tales. So he's a good A&R man for those kind of things because he was a sponge and he understands it and he gets it and he knows the difference. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I don't think I've ever seen as much talent in one town as there is in Mountain View, Arkansas. I was down here. That's the truth. I had some time off last fall and came down here and... Uh, thought to myself, well, when your next vacation rolls around, come see Mark. So I've been on the road for about three months traveling, and uh, I just thought when I got home the other night, boy, it sure would be nice to go up in the mountains at Mark's cabin and watch TV. And so (laughs) he finally got him a TV set, but when I got here, he had his antenna pointed over toward Damascus. He, he just insisted that the reception was better bouncing off that metal over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so sure enough, uh, you know what happened to Damascus. I don't know what I'm going to do now. <laughs> well, I tell you, why don't we do what we've been doing for the past few days? I'm glad I brought my guitar. We'd have been out of anything to do. And he ain't a very good cookie. <laughs> Shut up. We've had to send out for pizza. Had to send to Little Rock for pizza. <laughs> uh, we that didn't pick. cost much. Did <laughs> Let's do this thing. Yeah. All right. I wish I could do a train whistle. I wish I could too. Hey, where were you? When the train left town I was standing on the corner With my head hung down If I had my gun I'd let the hammer back Shoot that dirty rounders And took away my gown Hey, that train That carried my girl from town If I know her number, Lord, I'd flag her down. I wish to the Lord that the train would wreck, kill the engineer, and break the fireman's neck. He, that train that carried my girl from town. He, he, he.
Well, rations on the table, coffee's getting cold. Some dirty rounder done stole my jelly roll. Hello, Central, give me number nine. I gotta talk to that woman of mine. Hey, that train, that kept girl from town. Hey, 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 hey. I said, hey, that train, that kept girl from town. Hey, 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 hey. I love this place. I've been coming here since the late 1970s. Mark Jones brought me over here for the first time. He um, moved over here with Grandpa and Ramona when they started, I think, their dinner theater over here, perhaps. And he kept coming and going back and forth from Nashville telling me about this scene that was taking place in the Ozarks. And I was going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it kept sounding more interesting every time he'd bring it to me. And then one day I came over here and I saw exactly what he was talking about. The, the legacy was so rich. And, you know, the... The work seemed important to me. And this place, you know, there's been a lot of trends come and go since those days from the late 70s. But the beauty of this place is it just kind of it's kind of has its own thing and it has its own speed and it's a very steady and, uh, you know, it's a very steady place. It's, it doesn't look any different to me than the first time I came here. It's, it's maintained and uh, it's about the culture. And so that's beyond trends. Both of us have had a great chance to be around a lot of old-time musicians and uh, learn as much as we can. This is an old tune that uh, Marty got to do quite a few times when he worked with Lester Flatt, and I got to do it a few times while I was trying to learn it from uh, uh, String Bean, and I don't think I've got it right yet, but uh, <laughs> I'm still doing it anyway. But uh, it's called John Henry. Thank you. 
John Henry the Steel Driving Man. Well, how much time do we have? <laughs> I know. It's a long list. Sure. The, the one I remember is that uh, Mark had an old white van, an old, I think it was a Ford. And we were downtown Nashville one day. We were on a street called Elliston Place. And there's a funeral home on Elliston Place. And, you know, all, we were just kind of riding along laughing, having all our, our own world of fun. And traffic slowed down for a minute. And <laughs> then the next thing I know that, traffic came to a standstill and wouldn't move and this guy came to the front of mark's van and stuck one of those funeral procession uh, flags on the bumper or wherever you know so we were in a funeral procession and we didn't say anything and the guy said turn your headlights on please so mark turned his headlights on and we'd gone about a block and mark said wonder who it was (laughs) thank you well, in my opinion, there ain't nobody can pick that like Mark Jones. He's good. All right. We were talking about it last night. We played down at Grandpa's Dinner Theater. Mark and I came up here to the Folk Center, uh, I guess it was what, four years ago. Mm-hmm. We set out at his cabin in the woods and got together a bunch of songs, and Robert and Mary came and helped us on a couple. And we came up here and recorded a cassette tape and called it Mark and Marty. And we only had one problem with it. After we got finished with it, we figured we didn't have nowhere to sell it. <laughs> so he couldn't sell it on the road. And, of course, you can't sell it with Johnny Cash. So we figured the only place in the world you can get this tape is in Mountain View, Arkansas. <laughs> but we're running low. We only have about 100,000 left. <laughs> so if you want yours, rush to the back and get it. That song's on it. <laughs> We've only got 1,000 here, so... Uh... <laughs> And they're free, but there's an $8 tax on them. (laughs) To benefit the poor and needy, mainly Mark and Marty. (laughs) Here's a tune. Bill, where'd this tune come from? I ain't gonna work tomorrow. Bill wrote it. Bill wrote it. He's just (laughs) over there a-swangin'. He don't care. Anyway. (laughs) I ain't gonna work tomorrow. Well, I'm gonna leave this country Lord, I'm going around this world Well, I'm gonna leave this country For the sake of that one little girl Oh, I ain't gonna work tomorrow Lord, I ain't gonna work next day Oh, I ain't gonna work tomorrow For it may be my wedding
Kathy Fink. I never heard it before today. Wow. Pay attention, it means a lot. Well, I used to live in the country, but now I live in the town. And sometimes I get a notion to go jump in the river and drown. Yeah. Oh, I ain't gonna work tomorrow. Lord, I ain't gonna work today. Oh, I ain't gonna work tomorrow, for it may be a wedding day. We've been listening to recordings of the late Mark Jones performing with his friend Marty Stewart featuring Mark frailing the banjo and Marty on guitar and mandolin. They played Going Across the Sea, The Train That Carried My Girl From Town, John Henry, and I Ain't Gonna Work Tomorrow. Let's take a short break right now. When we come back, we'll listen to some of our favorite visits in the vault with Mark Jones. This is Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome back to Ozark Highlands Radio. It's come to that part of our show where I like to go down to the vault and visit with my old buddy Mark Jones, who keeps track of all of our recordings. Let's go down and see him now. Hey, Mark, how are you? Dave, I'm doing great. Hey, I've been wondering, how's things going out on your place out there in Fox? Well, I got a new baby calf yesterday. I got a new calf yes. out of one of my heifers. All so right. I'm proud of that. Well, that's good. A new addition to my herd of three. Now I have four. <laughs> I always like to keep tabs on what's going on. You know, Mark, something a lot of people don't know is that you've, you've, you've been in music all your life. Your mom and dad were Grandpa and Ramona Jones, who members of the Grand Ole Opry. Everybody knows them. And, and I know that you're a fine banjo player yourself. Um, have you got anything down here of you playing the banjo? Dave, I run across this. And I'm, I'm real proud of it because it was back in the years when I could do a good job uh -huh. picking and all that. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, uh, it's not really a folk song, but John McEwen had put it together to do behind a recitation that he did. Now, I never could learn the words to it all the way through, so I just learned what Mr. John McEwen was doing really? on his banjo. What's the name of it? Mountain Whippoorwill. Have you got it here somewhere? I've got it right over here. Well, cool. Let's listen to it. Okay. And, uh, 
This next one was written by a friend. It's not really a folk tune, but it's got a real old-timey sound because of the way that it's tuned mostly. It's in a B minor tuning. And here it is, the mountain whippoorwill. That's a sweet tune now. Thank you, sir. I, I, yeah, I always enjoyed it. And uh, John has been here, actually. He was here at the Folk Center for a tribute weekend one time for my dad. Is that right? And I remember the Nitty Gritty Dirt Man came one time, too, and he was with them. That's true. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you so much. That's great hearing you play the banjo. And by the way, what year was that recorded in? Uh, 78. 78. You must have just been a little kid at that time, huh? Well... I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but no, I enjoy it down here and just walking around and looking at all this recording. I know. You've got quite a collection. What have you found that's interesting? Well, you know, I would like to help show people that are unfamiliar with the two different style banjo playing that we have up here. You and I both frail. And then there's three-finger pickers, Earl Scruggs-style yeah, pickers. The, the kind you hear in bluegrass music. Yeah. This is kind of the difference, really, I think, between bluegrass and old-time music, really. Right. In old-time, you never really hear a three-finger picking. You hear frailing or claw hammer or drop thumb, right. we call it. The old-timers called it knocking or rapping the banjo. You don't really pick the strings, do you? No. You're coming down with the back of your nails and hitting your main beats of the uh, measure, mm -hmm. and then with your thumb, you're adding the and, one, one, two, and, three, Yeah, kind four. of that buck-a-buck-a buck sound, huh? Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's basically what frailing is. And then in uh, Scrug style, or you have all these different rolls. That's right, that and usually fit. metal metal picks on your fingers, huh? With metal picks, and uh, you know, it just kind of you learn which roll to use to get whatever lick that you're wanting to yeah. get in. And I would say that probably frailing is a lot older style than the three fingered, huh? It is. It's a much more rhythmic style. You know, a lot of times if a 
fiddle player and a banjo was all you had, you could still have a square dance because of the banjo being more of a, yeah. in the Fraylin style, being more of a rhythm. Yep, keeping time like a guitar would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have an example of that? I do. This is me and my buddy, Walter Gosser. Walter Gosser, yeah. And uh, Walter's a fine bluegrass banjo player. He was. He was a little guy, too. He, his banjo weighed about as much as he did, I think. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and and uh, I used to tell people that we were twin brothers. And at that time, I weighed close to 280 or something like that. And Walter was probably 130 pounds soaking <laughs> right. wet, but we sure had a big time when we got to play together. Well, let's listen to uh, let's listen to the two of you playing your two different styles of banjo. What tune are you playing? Gonna be playing Cripple Creek. All right. That's a pretty good example of the two different styles. Mark, it was really obvious. The driving style with the three-finger picks and then the rhythmic style of the claw hammer. That's right, and it fits real well together. It does. When do you ever hear both those banjo styles in one tune? Hardly ever, huh? Not very often. Well, thanks a lot, Mark. That was very interesting. And Dave, I ran across something the other day. And I can't think of where I put it, so I'm going to look around here and try and talk to you while I'm looking. <laughs> okay. Uh, sometimes my eyes and my mouth just don't work at the same time. <laughs> you know, uh, a friend of mine lived here in town. His name was Andrew Kennard. I met Andrew after I came down here, and I run across this tape. Oh, oh, up here on the shelf. Here it is. I run across this tape, and it was just amazing. It was two guys having so much fun. We had Dean Hinesley in there with us, and we're just kind of demonstrating the three-finger style picking, Scrug style picking, and frailing like you and I do. And uh, I sure enjoyed listening to it. Would you like to hear it? I'd like to hear it. What's the name of the tune? John Hardy. Oh, that's a good one. Let's hear it. All right. Frailing is a, it's an older style. It's, it was actually called claw hammer and drop thumb and knocking and rapping and about everything in the world, especially when I do it. But it's in a downward motion, just kind of, uh, you know, it's a rhythm pattern, actually. 
And uh, then Pickin actually came along in the, uh, within the last 60 years. And uh, Andrew, his hand will uh, be stationary on the banjo head, and it's mostly rolls and, and uh, stuff like that. Henry's <laughs> <laughs> not going to talk. Talk, Henry. Uh, no, it's mo more rolls and patterns and stuff like that, where frailing is more or less hit and miss, and I miss a lot more than I hit. But uh, this is going to be uh, demonstrated on an old tune called John Hardy. Pretty good picking there. You were frailing away on that thing, too. Sounded good. Well, I, I was a trying. You guys kicked it into high gear there towards the end, didn't you? Oh, we did, right there at the <laughs> end. Yeah. But uh, I sure enjoyed picking with Andrew over the years and Dean also. Yeah, Dean's. we featured Dean actually as a backup musician in this segment many times. We have. That guy stayed busy back in the day, didn't he? He did. He just picked with everybody. And when do you think this recording was made that we just listened to? That would have been probably 75, Okay. maybe, something like that. Okay. Well, look, thank you very much, Mark, and uh, keep knocking that banjo. Yes, sir. That was a mashup of three different visits to the vault with my old friend Mark Jones. Every summer for many years, we've held a tribute to Mark's father, the late Lewis Grandpa Jones. A part of that tribute is a forum in which folks who knew Grandpa swap stories. Here are some stories Mark told at that forum. You know, Dad never really pushed, but if I had a question or was interested in something, he was always there to, to explain or show or whatever, but it wasn't... Uh, he nor mom, either one, really pushed us 
Well, maybe the saddlebags, but uh, <laughs> other than that, he, he really didn't, they really didn't push to make us do something or any of that. We just, I don't know, I, I don't know about Elisa, but I saw uh, the type of life, the fun, the excitement, the camaraderie of, between mom and dad and all their friends, Merle Travis, Joe and Rosalie Mathis, and- String bean. Uh, String, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, you know, it just, it, it just, it looked like a real good life and something that I might kind of like to <laughs> pursue, you know. And then I did, later on, I started working with dad playing bass and traveling all over the country and working his dates. And in all honesty, that's when I really got to know him as a person because he was, he was gone so much and, you know, growing up, you just kind of, oh, that's his deal. I'm not in, I don't, not into that, you know, but then working on the road and being able to travel with him, I learned the type person, what he really was. And uh, Mark, the banjo you have there, that's that's his banjo, correct? Yes, sir. I mean, you, we talked about that, I think, last year. But yeah. uh, tell us a little bit about that banjo. What, what? Well, there, Dad played this for a long time on the, on the road, you know, and traveled, and you can see there's belt buckle marks and everything. And I was telling Kathy uh, last night we got to talking about the one different peg on the back. There's one peg that's not gold-plated and not anything. And he had been in a, we, it was a dressing room, which actually was a locker room of a gym. You know, he had played at a high school gym and uh, it was the locker room and uh, a rat kept coming out and was running across the floor. And Dad took <laughs> took this banjo and killed the rat with it. It broke, that, <laughs> broke this peg off and, and uh, he never replaced it, never gold-plated it. That didn't mean no. nothing, just something that worked. I've still got the other peg. I thought, well, I ought to change that out. And then I thought, Ain't no, no way I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's killed a rat. <laughs> so. Well, that's something else I learned here today. <laughs> that's a rat-killing banjo. A rat-killing banjo. <laughs> okay, and what about you, Mark? When did you start playing with him? Well, I uh, actually, the, the first time I was on the Opry, it was with uh, Earl Scruggs, and I got to play show the difference of picking and frailing. And uh, I was just, I loved it. From then on, it was just okay. And then I got to work with the Willis brothers doing the Kellogg's cornflake commercial. <laughs> sure when remember those. when uh, uh, one, the banjo player that was working with them, uh, Curtis McPee, mm -hmm. when he retired or quit, they, uh, my guitar teacher, which that didn't work too well, but my guitar teacher <laughs> <laughs> said, why don't you play on the, 
you know, and I was able through Ed Hyde to get to go to work on the Kellogg's cornflake commercials on the Opry. And I was going to high school, and our high school at the time, mom's gonna love this, our high school at the time, they had a cooperative education program where if you had a job, you could get out of school at 11 o'clock. You love that. <laughs> and so I had them all convinced that I probably practiced enough hours, the hours that was needed to be able to get out of school at 11 o'clock. Sounds when like I a got, good scheme to me. It was. It worked great. And uh, so I was out of school at 11 o'clock, and I did practice. And really, all that I really did on the Kellogg's Cornflake commercials was an intro, which was... <laughs> that was it, you know? <laughs> That was our old friend, Mark Jones, swapping stories with friends and relatives at our annual Grandpa Jones tribute. It's time for another short break. When we come back, Charlie Sandage will continue his history of America's first national river. You're listening to Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome back to Ozark Highlands Radio. This week, author, songwriter, and student of Arkansas history, Charlie Sandage, informs us about early efforts to save one of the most beautiful rivers in the country. Here's Charlie. Our series about the 50th anniversary of the creation of the Buffalo National River Park had to mention a book by Neil Compton, entitled The Battle for the Buffalo River. A Northwest Arkansas obstetrician and avid hiker and canoeist, Compton read a 1956 article by Harold Alexander, a biologist working for the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, who was speaking and writing about growing threats to the river, including proposed legislation to dam it. Compton said Alexander sounded the alarm that summoned him into battle. Alexander's son, Ed, is a retired musician and professor of music, and he happens to be my friend and neighbor. He's an accomplished photographer who has possibly captured more still shots in celebrated and isolated corners along the Buffalo than anyone else. Ed joined us in the main auditorium of the Ozark Folk Center to talk about his memories of events leading to the birth of the National Park and his lifelong passion for the river 
and its gifts. Ed, appreciate you joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Charlie. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's just begin back there when you were, what, what age did this whole conversation <laughs> in, your, in your dad's living room begin? I was, I was too young to really, at that time, to really know what was going on. It just seemed like something that I lived with. Um, as, as time went on, um, I came to meet all these people that, in retrospect, are uh, giants in that field, not just in saving the buffalo, but in preservation of natural beauty in, in the state of Arkansas. There were actually plans in the 50s to dam the buffalo. There were, there were a lot of, in fact, there was a Corps of Engineer plan to dam every uh, free-flowing tributary to the White River all the way down, and, and the buffalo was to be the last one. Among Ed's recollections that came up was the formation of the Ozark Society. You might call it a sort of Sierra Club for the Ozarks, still very much active today. You mentioned the uh, Ozark Society. I know there certainly were preservation awareness organizations all over the country before that, and I know that a good number of people from those organizations got involved in the Buffalo situation, but if I understand it correctly, the Ozark Society itself became a coalescing point about the Buffalo situation. Well, ab absolutely. Um, it would be remiss of me to say that, that any one person was responsible for, for the, the ultimate uh, creation of National River. Many people worked on it. But they looked for help anywhere they could get it. One of the vivid memories I have of this time, realizing that there was an actual battle, as Dr. Compton said, there was a battle going on, was going with my father to make speeches about the importance of free-flowing streams. And he would speak anywhere that they could gather six people. The idea that uh, rather than go to every garden club in the state, uh, which they probably did, and, and enlist small groups that there would be one organization that would pull all those together, that they could use that as a central organizing factor. And, and I, I also vividly recall my father and my mother, actually, and Neil Compton in our living and discussing, and Neil Compton said, we'll, we'll create an Ozark Society. And I know that you may have spent more time up and down the buffalo than anybody except maybe one of the rangers. And actually, you were doing it oh, through a lot of years before a lot of them came into place. And you've been in a lot of the nooks and crannies, and you probably know places you haven't told anybody about. Uh, so just tell us a bit about your, your life along the Buffalo River. Well, I, I do indeed know places that at least I hope nobody else knows about, but they're becoming fewer and, and farther between. And that's a good thing that um, um, I, I remember my father writing a paper saying that if the buffalo were preserved in some national uh, sense, that a million visitors would visit the river over the course of a year. And, and he was scoffed at for that. Well, it's, it far exceeds that now. As a teenager, along with his sister, Ed followed Kenneth Smith up a rugged trail toward the natural bridge in Lost Valley. Smith is another key figure in the story of the Buffalo River, known for trail building, authoring, among other pieces, two books about the buffalo, and for a lifetime of advocacy for 
understanding and protecting wild places that enrich human life. But it was his father who forged Ed's early connections with the river. My father was great about finding old Forest Service maps and tracing roads that just barely existed and winding up on the river. And in those days, you could, you could camp on the river and not see anybody for, for a week, for two weeks. You might see uh, some local floating down the river, fishing out of a john boat, but canoes were extremely rare in those days. It was much later in his life, it was something I could share with my father. So I, I would go on a, a backpacking trip and come back and tell him, you know, hey, I, I was up in the Richmond Creek area for three or four days, and this is what I saw. My father was a photographer as well, um, more in line with trying to preserve uh, what he saw of the river. And he didn't get a lot of time to do it, but it was something also that we shared. And I'd like everybody else, I, I took pictures just to record where I had been. You began, Ed, uh, as you said, just taking photos to remember where you'd been or show somebody where you'd been. But you've had this, let's call it avocation, now for quite a while, uh, alongside your teaching and that. And I suppose in your retirement, you've been able to kind of pull your photography work to the front. And you have a uh, website. You have one book that you've published on it. So tell me a little more about what your photography avocation has been and what it's become in recent years. It actually came about almost by accident. Just like everybody else, I took pictures and liked to share them with other people. And I actually got to the point where I could print pictures, and I printed about half a dozen and hung them in my office. And one in particular caught a lot of people's eye, and someone would come in and say, can I have a copy of that? And I'd print them a copy. And after I gave away about a dozen, somebody said, you know, you ought to sell them. <laughs> and it, it uh, went from there. I was try to approach it just like that, like it's something that I'm sharing with somebody, and if it's of value to them, then that's a plus. Um, the buffalo, obviously, has a very uh, dear place in my heart, and I always say that, like anything creative, you should uh, try to endeavor to do what you love. Two nights ago, I was high over the buffalo at a place called Red Bluff, which is just above Gilbert. Uh, getting a, a picture of the moon, the full moon rising over Red Bluff, and it was—it's—it's it's, it's always a great experience just to to experience that and know that I can share that experience with somebody else. I couldn't help noticing you're kind of taking that little faraway uh, look when you began to describe that shot you did uh, just a couple of days ago. I know from my own experience, say with uh, songwriting. What's your favorite? Well, it's the one I'm working on right now. But uh, talk to me about some of the shots that uh, you really felt moved to take and why. Uh, well, it's like you said, it's whichever one is the, the freshest in my memory. And, uh, I, you know, you can't say well, who's your favorite child and, you know, what's your, what's your favorite song that you've written. And, and I can't really say whatever is my favorite. Uh, the ones that I really like are the ones that elicit a response from, from somebody that sees it. I've got one of a herd of elk wading the buffalo led by this massive bull. And that experience stands out to me because it, it was 
pretty difficult to get. I, I waded uh, upstream in the Buffalo from the low water bridge at Ponca and stood in the river for about four hours because I was certain that they this herd would cross at this point. And ultimately they did. As I tried to, to calm myself, I was shaking so hard and trying to uh, click the camera at the same time. But that one always, it always gets a, a crowd response or, or an individual response. And, and I guess being able to tell the story as somebody sees it is, is half of the fun. Let me just note that on the uh, Ozark Folk Center website and on the Ozark Highlands Radio website, we're going to be posting a selection of Ed's shots and uh, you can check them out on those two Facebook pages. The Buffalo River has inspired books, songs, and scores of artworks. Add to that list Ed Alexander's recollections and his photographs. Have you seen her shine? Have you heard her sing? She'll steal your heart away, wash it clean. The buffalo. Thanks, Charlie. As you know, this week we're remembering Mark Jones, the keeper of the vault here at Ozark Highlands Radio. We'll close out this week's show with a couple of our favorite recordings of Mark, starting with the last time he appeared on stage with his mom, dad, and sister Elisa playing the tune June Apple. Mark, it's your turn to show off now. (laughs) Uh, This is an old tune that I learned a couple of years ago when I first came down here. It's called June Apple. Boy, it's the rhythm you're gonna get. (laughs) Oh, that's all right. Ready? Yes, sir. Okay. Next, let's hear a hauntingly beautiful tune that Mark composed that he called Bethesda, recorded and mixed by his wife, Sue Jones.
two of our favorite recordings of the late and sorely missed member of the Ozark Highlands radio staff, Mr. Mark Jones. First, we heard the traditional tune, June Apple, with Mark accompanied by the Jones family band, followed by Mark's original tune, Bethesda, which was recorded and mixed by Mark's wife, Sue Jones. Thanks again for listening to this very special edition of Ozark Highlands Radio. And special thanks to our producer, Jeff Glover, who worked extra hard to put this show together. I'm your host, Dave Smith. Have a great week and be safe. Ozark Highlands Radio is produced by Jeff Glover. Executive producer is Darren Dorton. Additional support for this program comes from Arkansas State Parks, a division of the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism, with 52 unique reasons to visit the natural state. On the web at ArkansasStateParks.com. The Committee of 100 proudly supporting the Ozark Folk Center State Park since 1974. And by Stone Bank with roots in Mountain View, Arkansas. Stone Bank is a proud supporter of heritage musicians and small towns across America with government-guaranteed loans for farmers, entrepreneurs, and communities. More information available at StoneBank.com. For information on upcoming shows and events, we are on the web at OzarkHighlandsRadio.com. Until next time, I'm Donna Farrar. Mm-hmm.